Welcome to another episode of Right Where You're Sitting Now. I'm your host, Joshua Lee. Today's episode is number 53, and our guest is Sarah Janes. Sarah is an independent researcher who is an expert in dreams, lucid dreaming, dream culture, uh, practices of the dreaming practices of ancient cultures, all sorts of stuff uh, involving sleepiness. <laughs> Uh, she's also the host of a YouTube show called The Explorers Club. Uh, check out her YouTube channel. It's super interesting. And while you're on YouTube, go find our YouTube channel and subscribe. And leave a, leave a rude comment. We love those. Uh, me and Sarah talked about uh, a few different things. We covered how to, how to train yourself to lucid dream. Uh, why lucid dreaming is good good for you uh why dreaming is good for you in general if you're not dreaming much like i don't um why we have recurring dreams what to do about them uh, i think you'll enjoy it let's just uh let her let her speak for herself here is sarah janes everyone Your biggest project you got going on right now is the Explorers Club, Club, right? Well, it's just got really busy since lockdown. I've sometimes been doing like one a week, which is busy oh. for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and I've got really into ancient Egyptian research. And I started, I started trying to learn hieroglyphs just before lockdown. And then lockdown kind of facilitated being a little bit more disciplined with it than I perhaps usually would be. Yeah, I think I, I actually, I think I came across you talking about that in an interview recently. That's really crazy. You're like trying to teach yourself hieroglyphs. That sounds insane. What's wrong with you? Is it working? <laughs> yeah, it is working, actually. One of the things that um, really kind of compelled me to to keep going with it was actually the more I read and looked at hieroglyphs, the more Egyptian symbols and hieroglyphic signs came into my dreaming. So it oh, was good. a really good dreaming. It's actually a really good like dream incubation technique. Well, I guess before we get too deep in anything, let's start with the bio. Drop, drop your bio on us. Uh, th uh, this is Sarah Janes, everybody. Uh, and Sarah, why are you here? Uh, well, I, um, I suppose my, my entry into this kind of field of research is through running lucid dream workshops and giving talks about lucid dreaming. And the reason why I do that is because I've always been really passionate about the experience of lucidity ever since I was a kid. I, it was my favorite activity was dreaming. And then, um, through the Explorers Club, actually, the little lecture series that I run, I've met lots of people from kind of academics to mystics, I suppose you might call them. Um, <clears throat> And I've learned a little bit more about the, the kind of ancient ideas, I suppose, around dreaming and the possibility to incubate dreams for beneficial effect. So with regard to healing yourself physically and for emotional and psychological benefit as well. Wow, that's interesting. There's a few things I need to come back to in this. Uh, one, I noticed you said that your favorite activity was dreaming. Uh, I think that's kind of an interesting way of describing it. And most people, it's not an activity, right? It's in, like an inactivity. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I've been phoned up by like various small BBC state radio stations so much during lockdown saying, can you talk to us about lockdown dreams? And everyone's having these really weird dreams. And I think people are just noticing that they're having dreams during lockdown and um, are perhaps not as uh, comfortable with their psyche as they might want to be or should be because they are confused about what these dreams mean and so it's been quite interesting the lockdown experience because uh, people are obviously sleeping later they have quite uh, primal concerns on their mind which you know especially at the beginning of lockdown when the threat was a real unknown quantity but also that was compounded with weird stuff like tiger king so people were dreaming about coronavirus as a the invisible threat made visible through the form of aggressive tigers or you know tiger king himself wow that's so crazy i hadn't even thought about that that's wild and and i 
that's an interesting point that you brought up that people are sleeping in. They don't have to go to work like they usually do. That alarm clock's not buzzing in their ear anymore, is it? Do you think that worrying they're worrying about specific things which are kind of life and death they're worrying about an invisible threat and what the unconscious mind tends to try to do is is give form to invisible things so uh the most common lockdown coronavibe uh fear dream or anxiety dream was people crawling with insects or some sort of you know visible enemy because we can't see the the coronavirus, but we can kind of visualize it in that way. Right, that makes total sense. How how strange. That's really strange. Um, that kind of brings up a, a quite. I've always thought it was really interesting uh, that people have recurring dreams. Why do we have recurring dreams in the first place? Is it is it that sort of thing? Uh, something that you're just trying to work through? Yeah, it's usually stuff that you are trying to sort out. And you, you know, dreams are a really useful place to sort out some of those problems because you can do stuff that you can't do in your waking reality. They're brilliant for like the ending of relationships and stuff like that, where Mm -hmm. you can't actually get that uh, finality or that um, comfortable resolution that you might need. You can do that in a weird way in the dream state. I think it's almost similar to something like maybe magic mushroom therapy for couples where you're at this impasse, but the altered state of consciousness that magic mushrooms or psilocybin provides gives you this uh, open-mindedness and this flexibility to accept things that may not be part of your ability kind of within normal waking consciousness. Is that... I, I hate to look for a purpose in dreams, but is that like maybe the evolutionary purpose? Is that the evolutionary purpose you think of dreams is maybe dealing with that? There's a few arguments for dreaming and uh, in evolutionary terms, it is this idea actually that we get an opportunity to practice potentially life-threatening situations. And actually it does seem to be in ancient cultures that the predominant um, feeling around dreaming involved the uh, dealing with nightmares and sleep paralysis and scary dreams. So it may have been that as our like threat to life type situations reduced, we had other stuff to worry about, like photocopying and being in the office and office politics or relationships have taken over. So um, there's definitely a cultural specif- specificity to dreaming. Right. But it's still kind of the same things, right? Just with a different our, our our new masks on them, right? I mean, it's still our anxieties that we're running away from, just not tigers. Well, I guess now it is tigers again. Yeah. <laughs> tigers and people with mullets. <laughs> <laughs> Those are even, even more frightening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, what got you going down this, this bizarre... I mean, I, I know you said it was your favorite activity was dreaming but other than that what got you wanting to do this full time looking at dreams and um i suppose it's it's always actually been my sort of biggest passion in life is the experience that i had in dreams they were the greatest kind of uh creative expression that i experienced and also one of the things that really interests me about the experience of lucidity is it's often accompanied by this bodily sensation of bliss almost like orgasmic sensation and I do compare like lucidity sometimes to the experience of having an orgasm because when you're doing workshops with people that are like oh I think I've been lucid or I'm not sure it to me is that kind of experience where you kind of know when it's happened that there isn't any doubt that it's happened because there's this bodily bliss sensation associated with it certainly for me and a lot of the people that I speak to. So, yeah, with lucid dreaming, especially like that's one thing I've never experienced, I don't think. But um, I've had dreams where I I was definitely aware that I was dreaming, but it was almost like the the person watching it was aware that it was a dream. But I couldn't like I was still acting out my part as though I thought it was real. Uh, do you think that counts as <laughs> lucid dreaming? I think there's a scale like consciousness in general. You know, there's uh, there are lucid dream experiences or there are dream experiences that I have where, yeah, you know you're in a dream, you're questioning the reality within the dream and you know it's a dream. So, you know, most people that get into lucid dreaming start having dreams when they're a kid and actually they do often stem from nightmare situations where a child will um, 
say to themselves within the dream, I know this is a dream, so therefore I'm going to wake up or I'm going to fight this monster. So that's quite interesting in terms of the evolutionary purpose of dreams, because for the the development of a human being, a lot of lucidity will come out of early childhood nightmare dream experiences. And then as we grow up, we tend to have less nightmares. You're familiar with astral projection, right? What is what is the difference, if any, between lucid dreaming and astral projection? Is that just another level of or degree? I've I see that as something quite different. I think uh, uh, lucid dreaming for me feels like a a conscious creation of a dream realm within the dream state, and you can enter lucidity from being awake with the uh, wake induced lucid dreaming technique, where you. This is similar to dream yoga in Tibetan practice that you you kind of lie in your bed and you observe yourself traveling through hypnagogia and you become aware of your thoughts and you end up in a fully formed dream without losing your thread of like awareness of your journey into that state. Um, and astral projection tends to be an experience that is... Uh, believed to be a kind of etheric projection of your body into a realm that exists whether or not you're there so it's conceived as being like uh, another dimension that you're traveling through but you are capable often of observing your surroundings and yourself in your bed which you don't tend to get with lucid dreaming although you can use um, conditions you can use situations like sleep paralysis to become lucid that's interesting. What uh, what other ways can you use to? I mean, I've heard the the flicking the light switch method, right? Which which how how does that work if your lights burn out? That's what I I feel like it would throw me into a weird disassociative state. Like <laughs> if I had a bad light bulb. It totally depends on the person, I think, because I think, wasn't that from Waking Life? I think my friend used to go on about for that sure, light switch yes, thing. All the time. Yes. And uh, he also used to say to me, and you can't read in a dream. And I was like, I read stuff all the time in a dream. And then I went I went uh, for a whole point of like making sure I was reading stuff and writing it down and then telling him the next day. Um, so I think it depends <laughs> on the dreamer. And actually, the thing that's helped me most is this concept of personal mythology, which was uh, an idea conceived by um, Stanley Krippner and David Feinstein, I think, who wrote this book, Personal Mythology. And it's this idea of uh, really working out what your own archetypal dream characters are, what your recurring motifs are. And I've always thought of, I wanted to be a film director when I was a kid. So, and I wanted to invent a machine that could record my dreams. And then that would save me a lot of legwork of being the film director because I could just <laughs> play that. And, um, but that was my, my two biggest things with dreaming when I was a kid was I mean, they were so amazing, my dreams, that I wanted to be able to film them and just show them to people. And then the other thing was I was so convinced of the sort of veracity of the dream creation that I thought that if I could master it and be lucid whenever I wanted to be, I would be able to transcend death and consciously enter the next life or consciously enter um, a multi-dimensional experience of life. This is, do you still think that? Yeah, to an extent. I, I kind of think that you, the more you work on – I mean, one of the things you get with dreaming is you get this strange experience of memory. Like uh, you – I sometimes in a lucid dream state feel like I can remember everything and there's – and it's you get this experience of things just being on the tip of your tongue and sometimes I feel quite overwhelmed with the amount of information uh, you can take in in a, in a moment a dream. And I, I've never taken psychedelic drugs, but I imagine it's similar to that experience whereby you're not uh, focusing your attention on one particular linear aspect of your view of reality. You're kind of taking everything in. You have a kind of omnipotence in the dream state. Yeah, for sure. I, I fool around with lots of psychedelics, and for sure that's what it's like. Um, very dreamlike. Um one of the things I've noticed with dreams is you see like close up and far away at the same time, things like that, mm -hmm. for example, which are a bit overwhelmed in waking reality. So, you know, and I do think of psychedelic drugs as being basically drugs that make you have a waking dream. So this is, this is kind of interesting 
uh, back to what you were saying about uh, moving past death. Um, it reminds me Grant Morrison, the comic book writer, uh, in I think it was a Superman comic book, was talking about uh, how when we die, heaven and hell are these like we build we build these like palaces or hells to to live in and i'm it's kind of it's weird it's making me think of that do you think that this is or is it that you like consciousness is timeless and you can like go and live in your own consciousness what what, what exactly i think we're doing that all the time and one of the things i've noticed because i've gone through phases of being like uh really excellent at lucid dreaming and then it's gone on the back burner for a bit and I haven't paid that much attention to it and then other times when I've just really been getting into it every night and in some of those periods where I'm getting into it every night um I've started to become lucid and just observe the actual like texture and fabric of the dream and the experience of time within the dream state and how a what might be called a narrative later on actually plays out. And it usually is never a narrative. It's usually like a tapestry of uh, a three dimensional tapestry of things that weave together simultaneously. But when you wake up, you tend to write it down as a linear experience. And um, one of, you know, trying to kind of um, condense this into an idea about what dreaming does and what its purpose is and probably what its purpose is in terms of our development as people with personalities is that our personality is formed in, in the dream state and babies spend an enormous amount of time in REM sleep because they're having to process so much um, in such a rapid period of growth with with regard to their brain development and their body development their experience development and we we are the people that we think we are and we tell everyone and ourselves that we are like we create ourselves through our thoughts and through the things that we say to people and our expectations and uh, in a dream state you can kind of tweak those things and you do become aware uh, especially if you keep dream diaries that the dream landscape and the dream architecture is like psychic manifestations of your personality. And you start to see how buildings and landscapes are composite representations of your psyche somehow. Like there'll be your childhood home, but it'll be in a tree or there'll be um, particular landscapes or particular countries or particular forms of transport. Forms of transport are huge in dreams. Like train stations are really common dream destinations and often like missing trains or not getting on the right train or there being some complication about not having a passport. And all these things are manifestations and representations of your state of mind, your personality, your um, ideas about yourself and your relationships to others as well. So if you can, you know, I've found as well in, in good periods of lucid dreaming activity, um, one of the things I've found makes me really happy is when my dream version of myself is like the best version of myself, like the best possible version of myself. And that tends to influence life as well. One thing that is coming to mind is, does the dream, like, why can't the dream just talk to you? You know, why does it have to, why does it have to have these symbols? And why do you have to read a dream, basically? I think it it can talk to you. And one of the things that's great about lucid dreaming is when you realize you're lucid, for example, if you have characters in a dream and people have different kinds of dreams, you can go up to them and be like, what do I need to know? And it will speak, they can speak to you directly. And, um, and then in terms of symbolism, it is quite interesting why dreams do that. But I've thought about that a lot. And I think it's the most kind of um, primal form of communication, really. But maybe with our kind of distracted, media-driven lives, we've forgotten about it and our dreams are, are trying to catch up with us in that respect. But I mean, I talk to people that come to my workshops that will dream about looking at Facebook you know, all night. So our dreams are changing to fit in with our our lives culturally right. and emotionally. And also in a way it's it's almost like stories kind of speak in that same language too, right? And so it's yeah, I guess you're right. It's like maybe the most primal language, yeah. And you know what, as well, I do believe that most of the stuff that surfaces up in dreams does come from childhood and will come from, I mean, my mum and dad used to read me a lot of stories when I was a kid, and I do think about that sometimes being part of this. And um, 
I have particular themes and motifs in my dreams that I can identify with locations from my childhood having this like mythological um, meaning for me. And sometimes when you work out what these mean, like recurring dreams, when you finally work out what stuff means, you stop having the dream. That's interesting. So, well, how how do you figure that out? Like, how like you were speaking earlier about, uh, like, I guess figuring out your own kind of dream vocabulary. How do you learn your own dream vocabulary? Well, I did. Uh, I did this like experience, this like group meditation thing with Stanley Kripner, and one of the things he was talking about was like identifying your dream motifs, and he. I think he was talking about find the first thing, the first lucid dream that you remember, because if you have a history of lucid dreaming, the first lucid dream I remember having was I was a small child and I dreamt that I was a cat sitting on a wicker rocking chair. And it was a really small, small, insignificant dream, but it was so amazingly real it was mind-blowing and I could feel you know like that omnipotence of seeing outside of the cat being inside of the cat observing the pads on my paws like feeling the body of a cat and feeling this bliss sensation in the body of the cat and um, I remembered that and then I realized that when I looked at a lot of my other lucid dreams there were always cats in them and uh, the cats actually got bigger as I grew up, they turned from like this little domestic cat to um, lionesses and they became the trigger for lucidity because I associated the lucid bliss experience with this big cat. How it would often start was there would be a, a lioness in a dream and I would be scared of the lioness because it looked like it was going to go for me. And then that would make me realize that I was dreaming and then I'd wake up and then I would change the lioness into something else. Wow, that's really interesting. Man, that sounds like you have so much more interesting dreams than I do. <laughs> I have very, very dull dreams. Lots of lots of walking around school, you know? Yeah, I think it's what you're into. And like I was saying to you earlier, because I got into Egyptian stuff and hieroglyphs, mm -hmm. I dream about Egyptian stuff and hieroglyphs all the time. I mean, I think it's kind of simple. It's, it's not a great mystery, really. And um, actually writing down things does have this power to manifest them in the dream realms later on at night. So if you write down what you want to dream about, and it's a really good tool for stopping recurring nightmares as well. Mm. If you write down like a good resolution that you want, just the process of imagining that resolution, imagining the scene, thinking about it, sows the seed for that. I mean, in and of itself, dream is, dreaming is an extraordinary altered state of consciousness like people are really jumping on this psychedelic renaissance and talking a lot about psychedelic drugs and how useful they can be for people's emotional and uh psychological well-being but people aren't really talking that much about dreaming but they can be enormously beneficial and you can have comp you can within a dream you can have a life-changing transcendental experience is it true that uh don't, doesn't your pituitary gland dump DMT when you dream? Is that true? I've heard that. <laughs> it's an idea. That, there's also an idea that uh, DMT might be um, uh, uh, produced in the lungs, and it's uh, it's thought to be potentially produced in the pineal gland as well, but or a a similar substance. But I don't know. I don't know uh, about the truth of all of that, but. Definitely, I've had transcendental experiences in dreams. Definitely, I've had like an experience of bodily bliss and joy. And what everyone knows, if they wake up from an amazing dream, they feel amazing all day. If you wake up from a horrible dream, you feel shit all day. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I guess uh, I guess that means that all that those, those like dream dictionary books are nonsense, right? <laughs> I suppose if you studied a dream dictionary book and it's all you read, then probably your uncle <laughs> start using all those symbols and actually it'd be well easy to work out what your dreams were. <laughs> right, right. That so was your like data bank of knowledge and information. Then so do you think the best way is to just keep logging your dreams and thinking about them and just trying to pull them apart in your own head and figure out? Uh, but what I also think is um, be very selective about what you do choose to put into your mind and consciousness so like be careful about what tv programs you watch or how long you spend on the internet and what films you watch because those are actually the things that most often 
reappear in dreams because you know especially these days people watch stuff all day long and when I was a kid we never I might have one tv program that I wanted to watch a night you know yeah I actually the other night had a dream about Mario Kart like all night I kept waking up and going to the bathroom and coming back to sleep and going right back into Mario Kart I was like this is ridiculous but (laughs) that's it that's exactly it I don't think there was any any symbol I need to suss out there exactly (laughs) maybe stop playing Mario Kart all the time yeah I do wonder actually about uh, computer games and I think that there may be an element with virtual reality in particular whereby it may help entrain people to become lucid because in the VR experience you are physically embodying the kind of avatar and you're wandering around this virtual space that's all around you which is exactly what it feels like to be in a lucid dream without the kind of altered state of being asleep have you tried vr is it it similar is it real similar i mean it's it's when you're lucid you are in this um there is the element where you know you're not related to the generation of content in vr but actually i do think it's probably less of a, a negative it would have less of a negative impact on your likelihood of being able to dream because one of the things that I think has changed people's natural ability to dream is the way we look at stuff. Like we're looking at stuff on flat screens a lot. And the way you look at that, the way you use your eyes is different to the way you use your eyes when you're traveling through space and you're walking, for example. And actually um, some of the stuff I do in my workshop is just like visual entrainment to get you uh, re-familiarize yourself with like staring into nothingness and um, looking through space rather than looking at a surface. I heard you talking about this on a, in a recent interview about, I think you were comparing it to kind of the site that you use when you looked at those old magic eye posters. Looking through a surface and actually that, you know, I used to do a thing when I was a kid where I'd put my uh, palms into my eye sockets and then you look through this tunnel of stars. And um, the hypnagogic experience was always like that for me a lot as well. Like mm-hmm. you're traveling through space and um, re-familiarizing yourself with that traveling through space at, to enter a dream. It's really like a really, really good skill. Yeah, this is actually exactly where I wanted to go next was to bring up that hypnagogic side. Because it... When you when you said that, it, it reminded me. It's kind of similar images, right? Uh, could you explain to listeners exactly what hypnagogic imagery is and uh, how that plays into all this? Mm, so hip, the hypnagogic experience is that period of time when you're in bed and you're starting to settle into sleep and you're drifting off and you you see stuff or you, you can even hear things as well. You can have audio hallucinations. So, you know, when you're lying in bed and you might hear a doorbell go or your name being called really loud or a slam or something, um, that's all part of it. And also you can get, um, you can have like little snatches of dreams. So sometimes you'll be dreaming, you're walking along a pavement and your foot will go like this. And that's called a myclonic jerk when you kind of like jerk in bed. Uh, just as you're drifting off to sleep and that's all part of the hypnagogic experience and then on the other side of that when you come out of sleep you have hypnopompic experience which is uh similar basically in terms of like the visuals when you're just you're rousing out of that state of consciousness is that kind of like that part where you feel like you're falling maybe or yeah sometimes or can't move yes yeah right and and it's associated with the imagery right that that you see behind your eyelids how mm. Uh, how do I've I've heard that you can use that kind of as a way to 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 trigger lucid experiences? Is that true? That I find this thing with with having this soft gaze, like I was talking about, this like looking through space rather than looking at anything. If you can hold and maintain that soft gaze, it's almost like um, looking cross-eyed, actually. So as if you're looking through your third eye um, into that space, then what I found in terms of using that as an opportunity to get into lucidity from just getting into bed, basically, you start to observe the images that arise, but instead of focusing too closely on any of them, you just let them sort of wash past you. And then, you know, I've had interesting experiences in hypnagogy where if you have a vague thought or you, or you think of a word that manifests instantaneously and the longer you can, maintain and hold and expand that state that you start to see that everything all the content of the dream as it arises 
is formed out of those thoughts and feelings and words or snatches of experience that you had as you're drifting off to sleep. So would it be helpful kind of to train, um, I guess, to use that specific technique to train during the day doing gazing, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's handy to use that technique at any time because the more familiar you become with that looking through space and that soft gaze of observing without focusing um, will help you become... Because with lucidity, generally for me, I will suddenly look at something or, or remember that I'm dreaming and then there's a particular way of looking in the dream state. I used to do a thing where I'd like hold my eyelids open to like really look at everything in the lucid dream. Um, and then I remember one of the things when I started to research lucid dreaming was um, the guy that coined the term lucid dreaming. He, he was, his name was Frederick von Eden. He um, described this technique that he used because you know, a lot of people's experiences with lucid dreaming will be very fleeting a lot of people especially kids get into lucid dreaming and you get so excited when you become lucid that you wake yourself up and that's a lot of people's experiences of lucid dreaming is that and Frederick von Eden talks about um he used to spin when he became lucid to stay keep his mind focused in the lucid experience and when I read that I was like oh my god I do that as well and it's just a natural intuitive thing that you do because you're conscious you're so you know you're so close to waking up that you've got to stay and it's a very like unusual interesting experience so do you use one specific technique or do you kind of bounce around? Well, I used to do something well, for me it's all about focusing in the dream carefully and then sometimes too much focus is is probably using too much of your frontal cortex and that wakes you up so um you need to kind of look at things and move around like don't spend too long looking at any one thing so i i tend to open my eyelids really wide and look around and keep <laughs> moving my eyes but keep looking at stuff and moving my body as well and then i'll settle back down into the lucid state uh, Sarah, you're also an expert about uh, the way ancient people uh, practiced dreaming, too. Could you kind of talk a little bit about that? Well, that's I'm writing a book about that. So that's been my main area of research for a while. And then just during lockdown, I've got really into Egyptology and I've been interviewing loads of Egyptologists. And one of my guests was this amazing Egyptologist called uh, Kasia Zapowska. And she's an expert. And I think she's probably the only person in the world as an Egyptologist on ancient Egyptian dream life and sleep and any any text that's ever been written on the subject of dreaming, she knows about it. And she um, is an expert in the language and everything as well. So she has a kind of like thorough um, knowledge of the subject. And it was really fascinating talking to her because my initial focus has been on ancient Greek traditions of uh, sleep temples, which were healing sanctuaries, uh, presided over by the god Asclepius, who is the god of dream healing, essentially. And um, from a lot of the books I've read, it was it was often claimed that the uh, priest Imhotep was the precursor to Asclepius. But there's not really any evidence in within the field of Egyptology, at least, to suggest that. But there are dream accounts, and it is really interesting, as I was saying before, that the preoccupation with regard to dreaming for ancient Egyptians was this idea of nightmares. And the reason that they were so scared of sleeping and dreaming was because uh, during sleeping and dreaming, you enter the darkness, which was in the ancient Egyptian kind of creation idea and ancient Egyptian spiritual ideas, darkness was that place where uh, chaos and demonic things existed. So you had to protect yourself in that darkness. And obviously you're vulnerable, you're lying asleep. So um, ancient Egyptian people had little cobra um little cobra statuettes that they would put in the corner of their room to protect them from nightmares in the night. And um, often it was also seen as an opportunity to commune with the dead or that the dead, if um, they were so inclined, could punish the living in their dreams. That's interesting. So uh, they took dreams very seriously, huh? I mean, we don't... Obviously, there's, there's a lot of um, ancient Egyptian literature that's been found and a lot of scrolls have been found but also there's a lot of stuff that's never been found so uh 
all we're looking at is what's in the archaeological record. So there's loads more stuff than that. And I'm sure there will be some evidence found eventually for dream incubation in ancient Egypt or for dreaming with intent and purpose, at least. But um, there isn't actually an enormous amount in it. But I like the idea of um, ancient Egyptians protecting themselves against nightmares and uh, recognizing that darkness was this like potential abyss of chaos and demons is quite an interesting and different take on dreaming than what the ancient Greeks were talking about a bit later on. Well, well about those Greeks, yeah, you mentioned the Greek sleep temples. What, what were those exactly? So Asclepius was the son of Apollo and the mortal woman Coronis. And he was uh, cut out of his mother's womb while she was burning on a funeral pyre for cheating on Apollo. And he was taught the healing arts by the centaur Chiron and a snake allegedly, he did a snake good favour in the forest. There's various stories about the, the origins of his magic powers, but basically he had the ability to heal, a magic ability to heal. And he was even punished for bringing people back from the dead because his healing skills were so excellent. And um, his symbol was a snake-entwined staff. And snakes would be present in these temples as well and were seen to be the theriomorphic form of the goddess Clepius. So if a snake visited you in a dream, that would also be Asclepius visiting in you in the dream. And the idea in these uh, healing sanctuaries, and they were like... Um, they were like health spas, I would say. Cold water bathing was a big part of it. I sort of joke that like Asclepius was the precursor to Wim Hof, like this bearded dude who liked cold dipping uh, for healing and immune boosting purposes. So a lot of it was about ritual purification, becoming clean and pure and good. And then after this period of... Um, vote offerings and all sorts of things like this and purification and uh ritual we don't know that much about the rituals that happened in asclepians but there are rituals dedicated to mnemosyne the personification of memory which i find really interesting so there's this recognition of the potency and the art of memory being necessary for good dreams and uh when the time was seen to be auspicious, the therapeutae at the Asclepius would take you to a smaller chamber, which was believed to be the abode of Asclepius, and that would be the place where Asclepius could appear. And the idea was that you would receive this divine healing dream where you would be touched, or or often the accounts report a kind of physically impossible operation in the dream that when the patients woke up, they were spontaneously healed. What do, you, what do you think was the mechanism behind all that? I believe that the dream incubation methods in ancient Greece would have been a form of suggestion and sleep hypnosis over a period of time. And, and the, the images in places like Epidaurus show uh, this bed that the supplicants would sleep on called the clean which is where we get the word clinic from. So a lot of our modern medical terms actually come from Asclepian terms. Um, and so the clean was this, um, a stone bed with the skin of a sacrificed black ram on it, um, traditionally. And when you slept on this bed, and I think it's important to remember, it's not really a comfortable, relaxing, getting into our bed type bed. It's more like a psych psychiatrist's couch. And then you would have these temple attendants that would guide you into sleep you'd often probably be relatively hot boxed in frankincense because the votive of the the um fumigation was to nemosine was always frankincense and frankincense does have this ability to kind of make memories come alive and to help you visualize things so i think that you would be guided into sleep and you would be so primed to dream about Asclepius because you've been in his sanctuary for so long. You've seen statues of him. There are snakes all over the sanctuary. I think you would be highly likely to dream about snakes. And, um, and so I think I personally believe, and this is what I'm trying to get to with my research and practice and in, and 
testing this idea on other people as well that the bliss state that you experience in lucidity is a kind of potential conscious link between the mind and the body where you can influence the homeostasis response so you could actually activate a faith healing response in your body because actually the dream provides you with a visual situation you know a situation that you're feeling like you're experiencing and I I do think that your biology will kind of match that in the lucid state if you have I've had an experience where I was touched by a god and a light flowed through my body and I had an ex- a physical experience of that and I think that the lucidity allows those kinds of experiences to go somehow deeper with regard to uh, the placebo effect being activated essentially like a faith healing response if you there's an action that occurs in the dream and it's matched by a spontaneously arising action in the body I was going to, I was definitely going to raise that whole point about placebo is Mm. uh, placebo is a very real thing that no one ever brings up because it's just, we take it for granted, but it's magic. It's magic. You know, there's something very interesting and, and um, yeah, it it seems uh, the biggest part of placebo is belief, right? Even if it's, um, even if it's belief, belief in placebo, if you look at the, I think it's, they call them nocebo tests or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, it seems like it would like yeah being in a dream state would be even more convincing and even exactly like better. yeah right so is, it would so th- you would be experiencing it as one hundred percent actually happening um so also okay. what, one thing I was going to say is a sort of comparison as well with the Kundalini experience and the relationship perhaps with the snake there as well that I think the Kundalini experience of like a flow of energy rushing through your body is similar to what you get in a lucid dream when you experience that bliss state. Sounds awesome too. (laughs) Well, interestingly Uh, as well, like Asclepius was um, the wife or daughter, depending on what stories you read, uh, Panacea was the name of his accomplice. And there's also this idea of um, the snake providing poison and panacea like it can it contains poison but that poison can also be used in very small doses to be a medicine and the symbol for pharmacies all over europe is still um the bowl of the bowl of hygieia which was um associated with sclepius as well which shows like a serpent rearing over a, a glass um does this come back into your work with drink incubation well one of the things that i find interesting about the gods and this idea of creating form and personalities i think is useful because it if you have an object or a personality it's very easy to focus and direct your attention onto that and to adore that you know that's why things like shaktipat experiences work with gurus in terms of instantaneous kundalini experiences because the participants are like focusing all of their attention and devotion on this figurehead and without a focal point then it's really hard to generate that adoration or that because the adoration is just a very very high feeling so that uh that gives you kind of like a focus to to i I get it okay that's interesting that's really, really curious. I want to see, I want to see how that pans out. You said uh, you mentioned sleep hypnosis as part of this. I'm, I'm familiar with hypnosis. How would, how does sleep hypnosis work exactly? The same way, except that you're you're taking advantage of of the sleeping. Yeah. Well, I practice sleep hypnosis in my workshops. I've got some sleep hypnosis videos on my YouTube channel, and my technique is to guide people through hypnagogia and seed the hypnagogia with suggestions for the dream that they eventually end up into. And the hypnosis experience helps you to familiarize yourself with the hypnagogic state and become comfortable with it. Because actually, I think most people could do this if they just slept on their back, like for a bit longer than they used to, because the hypnagogic experience usually occurs when you first get into bed and you're lying on your back and then you start to get like really comfortable and really relaxed and you roll over on your side. And then it's almost like, game over for hypnagogia you like start sleeping properly so the sleep hypnosis is useful because it keeps you in that position and it familiarizes yourself you know your um your mind to this experience of drifting off into sleep because i think that um 
one of the ridiculous reasons why I got into lucid dreaming was my dad made me a cabin bed, but he never put like a a protective uh <laughs> Like most people would have some sort of little bar to stop them from falling out. And my dad didn't put that bit in. So I used to just lie in, lie in bed on my back because I was terrified that I was going to fall out and kill myself. And I think that's actually why I started lucid dreaming. Well, I'm, I don't know, man. I'm a back sleeper. I've always been a back sleeper. I, I, I really never. I had, I think I had one pretty intense lucid dream where it was, it was weird. It was like I was kind of floating over this like forest and I was started like, I don't know, like data was coming in about these different animals that lived in the forest and stuff. But then I realized what was happening. And like you said, I got it really excited and pulled right out of it. <laughs> so it kind of ruined it. But I think that's the only time really that I've ever had one that I could, that would actually count maybe. Well, it may be useful to go back over that dream and write it out and think about it and try to reimagine it. Because I do think the process of writing a dream down is really more about the reimagining it with your conscious mind. And that is what seems to cement it into your memory. So it seems like... Um... It seems like you keep bringing it up over and over again to to bring to, to keep that diary, keep that dream diary, right? Yeah, it's really boring in terms of, you know, people now want to know what supplements can I take for lucid dreaming? What devices can I get for lucid dreaming? But actually writing down dreams and getting into the habit of writing down dreams and thinking about what you're writing down and reimagining it is the easiest, quickest way to start generating lucid dreams what makes uh like i have trouble remembering my dreams what makes that uh happen what what, what would improve my memory maybe the, the process that. starting to do it you get better and better at it but also kind of knowing what helps so for example like uh i remember when i was a kid when i used to wake up my i'd have like one really weak hand and i couldn't like even hardly even move the pencil i'd have been in such deep sleep but um i'd find that if i have my notebook and my pencil like in my bed next to me sometimes that in itself reminds me that i've got to do it and it does also mean that there's an element of my mind that's kind of conscious of the fact that it's there the whole time and also not I sometimes don't even open my eyes or I definitely won't turn a light on and I'll just scroll it down. And then, you know, it's such an interesting experience that happens in terms of how your memory functions with regard to remembering dreams when you first wake up, because it's such a different kind of memory experience. It's not like remembering waking reality. It's really different. So sometimes you'll think you can just remember a little snippet and then you write that snippet down and then another bit comes and another bit comes and it's really interesting it's like this kind of excavation process so i really want to get back to this dream incubation stuff what exactly is that and could you explain the process what does it do what is it beneficial for the idea of dream incubation is that simply you sort of set an intention or an object to communicate you know a, an entity or a god or goddess or um, you set an intention to find some information out or to go somewhere. It's the sort of thing that you kind of use in dream remote viewing experiments. So it really is about um, setting an objective for the dream. And that can either be like a physical objective like healing or a contact or an experience type objective like learning something about, uh, you know, the best solution to a problem you've got in life, all kinds of things. So the way I use it is I use sleep hypnosis to do dream incubation. So I use like a, a relaxation meditation technique to working with the people that I'm working with to follow a certain objective and a certain goal dream, essentially. And usually I like doing like healing ones. So working with particular issues that people can focus on in their dreams and and work on themselves and um also it's interesting to provide a room of people with the same sort of guided journey it's so interesting talking to them afterwards about their experiences in that space and you know them exploring um areas away from the space that i'm describing like the whole other world is created through that that guided journey in the hypnagogic state because your imagination is kind of working with the hypnosis experience. Um, does it almost sounds like it's like a, a kind of invocation technique. Mm. Um, 
I mean, some people will want to work with gods and goddesses. Some people want to use it as primarily like a well-being tool. You can use it for whatever you want to. So if you set an intention of meeting a god and you thought a lot about that god and you wrote your intention down and you imagined the scenario and you went to sleep telling yourself this is what's going to happen and especially if you then did a sleep hypnosis and in the sleep hypnosis you're talking about being on a journey to meet this god then there's a good chance that you will create that experience for yourself right and it seems also um just the way dreams work in an archetypal fashion like you'd be able to maybe deal more directly with the archetypes than in your waking life right Mm, yeah absolutely i think it's the it really is like the ideal lucidity especially is the ideal state of the human mind and body where there is maximum integration a maximum potential to consciously influence the physical body and you know like you say placebo doesn't really get much of a mention but it's an extraordinary phenomena that's completely scientifically accepted you know faith healing is you know given the right circumstances it works and actually where and how is it working it pro it's working in our unconscious mind somewhere in a level of our consciousness that can can manipulate our physical makeup i'm fascinated with with placebo mostly because i mean this show is mostly about the occult and magic but i kind of I'm always searching for the thing behind that, like where is that coming from? What's the mechanism? And I've, I've, I really wonder about placebo, and I think it's a shame that we kind of figured out placebo, and we're like, all right, placebo. Like, it's a done. big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Why, why aren't we spending more time looking into what makes that work? That's weird. Just, just dreaming, like I said before, in and of itself is a big deal. It's an amazing thing that we as human beings every night or whenever we close our eyes and want to go to sleep can have a psychedelic experience in what feels like another dimension or another world. And not only that, we can create the world and change it and manipulate it in whichever way we want it's it's an amazing thing do you find it hard to switch back and forth between the uh dream world and waking world i used to when i was a kid i used to like find this life really boring and i liked dreaming so much i dreamt a lot and i slept a lot and i used to draw maps of it and it was just like amazing and adventurous and exciting and really beautiful and awe-inspiring and um and then I did go through a phase where I started to feel like I was doubting reality and I could potentially go mad because it felt like I was living in the matrix because the dreaming was more real feeling than waking reality and then I had a kid and that was very grounding so um and then I kind of wasn't sleeping very much so wasn't having lucid dreaming and I realized that ideally you need a bit of both you need a bit of awe inspiring dreaming and a bit of grounded in reality yeah that's kind of where I was going to go to next was the question about escapism you know it seems like it's very ripe for escapism but it's just a I guess the benefits are so big that you need to figure out how to balance it right Mm, the benefits are really massive you don't need a psychotherapist you don't need um anti-depression meds you know you can you can really work on yourself and really uh, get to the root of issues as well rather than kind of plastering over the cracks so for someone who wants to start today what's the first step what do we what what do we do start looking for hypnagogic images and i would say try to practicing the gaze yeah, try to identify. Yeah, I would go for a three-pronged approach. <laughs> so I would go for uh, try to identify what your recurring motifs are in your dream life to date and think about what they mean, what they really represent, what they mean and why you might have them and where they first occurred and when your last experience of them was. And secondly, I would go for practicing your gaze with the uh, pushing your palms into uh, your eye sockets and practicing staring as if you're looking through your third eye so like you're looking into blackness like an obsidian mirror kind of thing and then thirdly do some of my sleep hypnosis videos on youtube and familiarize yourself and learn to expand the hypnagogic state and become aware of the mechanisms within it so you can 
really um, hold on to the thread of your consciousness as you're entering sleep. Right, right. Okay. Man, I'm going to try. I'm going to try again. It's been a few years. I, I kind of gave up, I think, probably around the time. A lot of it is just thinking about it, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. it and going to bed and being like, I'm going to have a really good dream tonight. And when I've always found whenever I do lucid dream workshops, people then think about their dreams. They've been talking about their dreams. They'll go home and they'll have good dreams because we've been doing it all day. So it it's very, you're very sort of susceptible to whatever information you put into your mind during the day tends to reemerge in the evening. So if you are thinking about good dreams or archetypal imagery or your recurring motifs, there's a good chance that those things will come up. Uh, what about psychedelics? You mentioned how psychedelics might bring you into a kind of a dream state. Do you think that might take away from uh, your actual dreaming time? I know people have said, I, I smoke a lot of cannabis, a lot. And people have said that that's a reason that you may not have dreams very often. Maybe you go uh, too deep, I think uh, like too deep asleep and you just pass mm, up that you- home. You suppress REM, it suppresses REM sleep. So people do often find they have like what they feel is better quality sleep because they have a lot of deep sleep, but they don't have as much REM. And then, you know, it's, it's very kind of well documented, this idea that when you give up, you have this rebound thing where you get loads and loads of dreaming and it can become exhausting and too much for people. So then they start smoking weed again. And I've met people that smoke a lot of weed and they're like, I smoke weed so I don't dream because it's too full on. Um, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely, in my experience with people, that's a, that's often a big factor for people that come to workshops is they're not dreaming because they're smoking weed. And actually antidepressants also suppress REM. So this is why long-term antidepressant usage is so dangerous because um, I get short-term usage because it suppresses REM and enables you to get deep sleep because you're, you know, feeling less anxious and worried and depressed. So you're able to go to sleep and then that can be restorative and good for you. But if you don't at some point start getting regular REM cycles, you're not resolving any of your psychological issues. And so you can end up sort of stuck in a rut for a long time. That's so interesting. It's really interesting to think about it from a psychological aspect. I haven't heard anybody even argue that before. Um, is there anything that you're working on right now that you'd like uh, people to know out there? I know you've got this Explorers Club show that you've been mm. popping out pretty regularly. Yeah, I've been doing loads. My next one is about the evolution of the spacesuit on the 2nd of September with Dallas Campbell. And oh, then that's I've got, interesting. I know I've got two more Egyptology ones. I have uh, Dr. Campbell Price from the University of Manchester who's going to talk about material objects in ancient Egypt and their significance. And then also Ramadan Hussein is talking about his discoveries in Saqqara because he's just been making this National Geographic TV show all about um, modern discoveries in Saqqara. And they found a mummification worship, uh, workshop and a priest and a priestess dedicated to like a really little known snake goddess. So that's really interesting. And then I'm doing I'm doing a little panel this weekend at Medicine Festival in Aldermaston. And I'm just I'm slowly putting my book together. So that's my main thing really. I want to focus on that and produce that. And it's everything's a bit different now with coronavirus. So most of my stuff has been going online and actually it's been a great format for me because I live in like a little seaside town in England and um, not many people used to be able to come to my club, but now loads of people can come because it's online. Right. And and it seems like, uh, like uh, it's been coming out more frequent, right? Some yeah. Yeah. It's, really, it's great. Yeah. That's nice. I, I guess there's some, silver linings here <laughs> for people like us <laughs> who like working from home i've had the time of my life it's like yeah. amazing in hastings like i went to london on saturday and i was just like god i'm so lucky to live in hastings because i've been swimming in the sea every day walking in the woods every day it's just been brilliant that's how yeah i live in colorado over here in the states and uh we've been pretty open this whole time so when i hear like family who's from texas or somewhere telling me about what they're going through it's like oh wow that's that sounds freaky. I just been wearing a mask. Everything else is pretty normal over here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much for uh, coming on. Where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, my website is themysteries.org, and that's got everything on it, all of my various projects. 
How did you manage to get that one? That's a, amazing. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good as well. Sounds really um, cool. official. Ooh, yeah. I always well. <laughs> it's the mysteries. <laughs> not some mysteries, not a mystery. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you know, please uh, come on again uh, sometime and we can get dig some deeper. I'd really like to talk to you some more about uh, maybe like the union archetypes and how they play out in dreams too. So Yeah, awesome. We should cool. both just make sure we have really good dreams this evening. I will, I will definitely plan on that. I'll write it down. <laughs> write it down to remind myself later. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep it in your bed and wake up when you have a dream and write it down then. I saw somewhere someone wrote about dream journals and they called them night books. And I was like, oh, night, night books sound so much better and less new age than dream diaries. So I'm going to start calling it a night book from now on. Way sexier for sure. Mm, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sarah. Well, uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Brilliant. See ya. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. You may have noticed uh, Ken Eakins wasn't here with me today. Uh, that's because he hurt his back. I think he was doing backflips off of his house or like trying to trying out paragliding something like that you know how that guy gets he's just a thrill seeker <laughs> uh, yeah thanks for tuning in make sure to subscribe on our YouTube channel uh, we're going to be having clips come out soon um, and other video projects as well uh, tell your friends <laughs> like us on iTunes Give us some stars. I don't I don't know. Whatever they ask for. Thumbs ups. Pats on the backs. 